Bill Gates has a paper today. If you have your Bibles, would you open them please once again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we're now in part 2 of a message that began this morning. The title of the message is How to Burn Bright for Jesus. How to Burn Bright for Jesus in a World of Darkness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And tonight we're going to be looking at verse 20 through 22. The words of the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, to the Christians there called Thessalonians. The words of the Apostle Paul writing to Miles Road Baptist Church tonight, and to you and I. He says these words, beginning in verse 20. He says, despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And abstain from all appearance of evil. As I stand before you tonight, November 15, 2015, everything that we hold near and dear is falling apart before our eyes. Our beloved nation is imploding and is about to explode, perhaps, right before us. Our churches across America are heaving and sighing on their deathbeds. And for many of them, you can already hear the rattles of death. Our homes are splitting apart and falling apart. Dropout daddies and missing moms and castaway children are the norm, not the exception anymore. Somebody has wisely said the nuclear family of a daddy and mom and children has been nuked. The days of Leave it to Beaver and Ozzie and Herod are gone and may never come back. Our family and friends, people around us, Many of them have nothing to live for, but they're afraid to die. So they exist in quiet desperation and depression. The Bible says that the coming of Jesus draws ever near. And by the way, he's coming again, you know that. And it may be even tonight. All the signs have been fulfilled. Jesus is coming soon. And as his coming draws ever so near, the collapse of everything is only going to accelerate and escalate. Now the question is, what can you and I do? We're only a few. What can this church do? We're only one. And that's true. But do you know something? Every great revival that has ever occurred in history, Every great awakening that has ever took place in history is only started with one. It's only started with a few. And God honored their efforts and multiplied their efforts and it spread from a few to many and from many to a majority and from a majority across the nation and even around the world. Gypsy Smith, a great evangelist of yesteryear, said if you want to have a revival, draw a circle with chalk. Step into that circle and let the revival begin with you. As I prayed earlier, 
If we want America to be a better nation, we need to have better citizens. If we want our church to be a better church, we have to have better Christians in it. If we want our homes to be better homes, we have to have better family members. So you and I, ladies and gentlemen, are the key to what this nation and the church and our homes are going to be become. Now this morning I challenge you, as the Apostle Paul challenged the church, I challenged you on four fronts. Quick review for those who weren't here. First of all, we were challenged to be joyful. To have an outward smile on our face caused by an inward Savior. When the Lord Jesus is sitting on the throne of your castle, the flag of joy will fly for everybody to see. We talked about being joyful. We also talked about being prayerful. To pray in such a way that heaven pays attention. And God is invited into our place of need. We talked about being thankful. To quit our griping and groaning and grizzling. And start praising God. And hallelujahing God. We also talked about being spirit filled. To stoke the fires that burn in our souls. That they with good things and holy things. That they might burn bright. That they might burn high, that they might burn far, that they might burn hot for Jesus. We talked about all of that. How God wants us in the last days not to be a bunch of little flashlights, but to be a lighthouse of influence and impact. Now, we're not through. Because the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us on four more things tonight. Now, I submit to you, if we would put these eight things into our lives on a regular, constant, continual basis, I believe revival could happen. I believe it could happen in us. It could happen in the church. It could happen in the community. It could happen in the nation. It could happen around the world. So the question is, will we do it? Verse 20. Let's look at challenge number five. He says, despise not prophesying. Now that word prophesying is an old word. Most of us are not familiar with it, but it's making reference to the word of God. Paul is saying despise not the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Do not despise the word of God. Now I want you to know without any stutter or stammer, that the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. Are you listening to your pastor? It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the living God. It is the, it is the Word of God. The Bible calls itself a living Word because it's moving and it's touching and it's saving and it's changing. The Bible says of itself it's a contemporary Word. It's never dated. It applies to all men of all generations. It's an inspired word. It's God's truth. It's not opinion. It's not speculation. It's not theory. It actually comes from God himself. It's an infallible word. It has no error. It has no mistake. It's an eternal word. It will always be. It's a profitable word. It will always bring back a dividend, an investment to you. My word will never return back, Nolan Boyd, he said. And it's the final word. 
Everything God wants us to know, He's put into the Bible. And there's no more revelation needed. God has said it all in this book we call the Bible. And we're not to despise the Word of God. We're not to despise it. When God's Word is preached by God's called leaders, it is to be respected and obeyed by God's people. We're not to despise it. Now your question might be, what does the word despise mean? It comes from a Greek word that means to treat as nothing. It means to treat something that's wholly irrelevantly. It means to treat something of significance with insignificance. It needs to treat something that should be honored with disrespect. And may I say to you, the Bible, the Word of God, is despised by many people in many churches. Did you catch that? It's despised by many people in many churches. Now, you would expect it to be despised out there, but I'm telling you the Word of God is often despised in places inside a church. How can it be despised? By you daydreaming when the Word of God is being taught in your Sunday school class or preached in the sanctuary? You catch yourself daydreaming? Say, people do that? Yeah. Who? I'm not going to point you out. I'll protect the guilty. Playing games during the service. You see that, Pastor? I sure do. Who's doing it? The young folks? Well, some of them. Some of them. You got some older folks to do it, too. You know that's despising the Word of God when you allow your mind to drift or you put your attention on things of the world and not on the things of the Lord. You know you despise the Word of God when you hear the Word of God taught and preached and you refuse to do it. I heard what Pastor Jim said, I'm not doing it. I heard what Roger Carter taught in his Sunday school, I'm not going to do it. I just won't do it. You know you despise the Word of God when you refuse to read and study it for yourself? He says, despise not the Word of God. Do not despise the teachings and preachings of the Word of God. Pay attention to it. Take heed of it. Open your Bible. Open your mind. Open your heart. And open your life to what it says. Because this book can transform you if you'll let it. Be honoring to the Word of God. But also, notice he says something else. Now we're talking about how to have a revival. How to have an awakening. As Jesus draws near, how to get our light shining. That we might be able to penetrate the darkness that's coming and is already here. 
and make the difference before we leave this world. He says, honor, be honoring to the Bible, the Word of God. And then he says, be discerning. Notice he says in verse 21, to prove all things. Now, prove all things is a reference back to verse 20, which is the Word of God. When someone teaches or preaches the Word of God, you have a responsibility. Yes, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to listen, but you also have a responsibility to check the so-called man of God by the Word of God. And many of us don't do that. But we need to in the day and age in which we live. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every person that preaches or teaches. But try the spirits. Try the man, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone into the world and have come into the church. A man of God will always preach the word of God. And that's why you bring your Bible. So you can check what I'm preaching and teaching by the, by the Scriptures. And if what I'm saying doesn't match the Scriptures, I'm wrong. Because the Scriptures are always right. Now when it comes to teaching and preaching and prophesying and utterances and all these other things that we got where so-called revelation is being given, we have to ask ourselves questions. Question number one. Does the words that are being said square with the scriptures? Because if a man of God is preaching the word of God by the spirit of God, his words will always match the Bible, the word of God, which was written by the spirit of God and penned by men of God. Does that make sense to you? So always bring your Bibles and always check what somebody says. You say, well, pastor, we trust you. I'm glad you trust me. But check me out anyway. Always check what somebody says by the authority of the Scriptures. Good teaching and preaching will only reaffirm the Bible. It will only clarify the truths of the Bible. It does not create new truth. There is no new truth. It's just old truth reaffirmed, re-clarified, re -re -re reapplied to help you understand what it means. So if somebody says to you, I'm getting new revelation. Wait a minute, God's speaking to me. It's a bunch of baloney. Say, are you talking about anybody in particular? Watch your TV. You'll see it all the time. Does the words that a man says square with the Word of God? And if you can't find clarification in the Word of God of what he's saying, take it like a grain of salt. Secondly, is the man who's speaking or teaching so-called the Word of God, is he plugged in? to the body of Christ, which is the local church. 
I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for somebody who teaches and preaches who's not a part of a local church. And we've got a lot of folks today who are in the so-called ministry, but their ministry is not to the local church. Their ministry is to a TV program where they can solicit funds from you. And if you have a TV preacher who's your pastor and you have a TV church at your church, when you go in the hospital, see if they'll come see you. When you need somebody to pray for you, see if they'll pray for you. When you drop dead, see if they'll come and conduct your funeral service. You won't hear a word from them. The only thing you'll ever hear from them is, we need more money. Is a man who teaches you committed to the local church? Is he a part of it and is he a participant in it? Another question that's good to ask as you prove whether somebody's saying something that's true is does their personal lifestyle reflect righteousness? Not only what they say with their lips, but what do they say with their life? Does their life measure up to their words? You perhaps would be shocked. Maybe not. You saw how many so-called ministers, particularly those on TV, and by the way, there's some good ones on TV. I'm not knocking every one of them. There's some solid ones on there that are men of God. But I can tell you right now, 75% of them are phonies. I can say that because I'm a minister, and I can call them that. I know a phony more than you do, perhaps, because I know them, some of them. They're phonies. And I tell you that they do not live what they say. While they're asking you for money, they've got private jets. They've got garages that hold six and seven automobiles. They, they make salaries that are in the millions of dollars. And yet gullible people just continue to send them money. Listen to me. A man who should be listened to as a man who lives what he says in public and in private. Another question to ask, what do they believe about Jesus? You know, sometimes people will say, well, what's wrong with the Jehovah Witnesses? What's wrong with the Mormons? What's wrong with this particular group? What they say sounds good. And can I let you in on a secret? Most of what they say probably is biblically true to some degree. But they give you just enough good food to slip the poison in that will kill your soul. And most of the poison is about what they believe about Jesus. When you listen to somebody teach or preach, do they believe that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but do they believe He's God the Son? Do they believe He's 100% humanity and 100% deity rolled into one person? Do they believe that? And if they're honest with you, they'll say, no, they don't. They'll believe He's a man, they'll believe He's an angel, they'll believe He's a good teacher, but is He God Himself, the second member of the Holy Trinity? They'll tell you no. We need to be discerning, ladies and gentlemen. Wisdom allows us to know the Word of God. Discernment allows us to know what's not the Word of God. 
Paul says if you want to have a revival, if you want to see God come and do a great work, you've got to prove all things. And if there was ever a time in our history where we need to be proving what is being said from pulpits across America, it's today. Because the spirit of Antichrist is at work. And he's preparing the world for the coming of the person of Antichrist, who will be the greatest liar the world has ever seen. And he will mesmerize the masses with his lies, and they won't know the difference. Let's move on. We must be honoring to the Word of God. We must be discerning of the Word of God. Thirdly, we must be steadfast. Steadfast in the Word of God. Notice he says in verse 21, and by the way, 20 and 21 tie together. They're all moving in the same direction. He says, hold fast that which is good. Now what is good mean here? It's, an, it's, it's a word that's speaking of truth. Hold fast that which is truth. Once you get the truth, hold it close to you and don't let it get away. Know it in your head. Stow it in your heart. Show it in your life and sow it into the world. But hold it steadfast. Don't let you allow anyone or anything take the truth of this word from you. That word hold is an interesting word. It means to cling, hold. It means to cling to something very tightly. That word good, the implication is truth, and it means to hold something very tightly that is good, that is valuable, that is true. If I could draw you a picture of that, it would show a father holding a baby. He's clinging to the baby with his hands. His big hands are wrapped around his son, his daughter, because it's valuable to him. And he takes that baby and he holds it close. That's the picture. If I had a infant son, I wouldn't hold him with one hand. I wouldn't hold him up high. I wouldn't hold him out here. I wouldn't juggle him. <laughs> I would hold him with both hands. He wouldn't hold me, I'd hold him. And I'd pull him close. That's what we're to do with the truth of this word, ladies and gentlemen. We're to treat it as something valuable. We're to hold it tightly and we're to bring it close to our bosom and not allow anyone or anything to take it from us. And then lastly, notice what he says in verse 22. Now the, the first three things all deal with the Word of God. Honor the Word of God. Discern the truth of the Word of God. Be steadfast in holding on to that truth, the Word of God. And then he says in verse 22, lastly, the last challenge, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
That word abstain means to run from it. Don't hang around it. Don't try to influence it. Don't try to impact it. Don't try to change it. Run from it. Just get away from it. Abstain from it. Get away from it. Back away from it. Don't let it get close to you. Don't let it taint or tarnish the clothes of righteousness that God has given you. You know, temptations come in three different directions. There's the internal temptations that we all face, and that comes from within us. Even those who are Christians, they face temptations that rise up from the flesh that's within us. And most of the temptations that come from within us, our own selves, have to do with immorality, immoral pleasure. The Bible says that when that temptation rises up to drink alcohol, to take drugs, to engage in illicit, immoral sex, things that bring pleasure to the body, the Bible says the way that you deal with that temptation is you run. You don't hang around people who drink alcohol trying to be a good witness because you'll end up drinking alcohol. You don't hang around people that smoke dope because if you hang around them, you'll smoke the dope. You don't hang around people who are engaging in pornography and sexual immorality because if you do, you will be part of it. You say, I'm strong. No, you're not. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You run from internal temptations. And most of our young people, that's what they face. Temptations for pleasure outside of the will and word of God. And young people, you run. If you have somebody that wants to do those things, you let them do them, you get away from them, you back away from them, you run from them. Or you'll be part of it. And then there's the second temptation. It's called the external temptation. Now, the internal comes from within us. We all have it. It's there, just waiting for an opportunity to come out. And then the external temptation comes from the world. It comes from the world that we live in. It has to deal with our desires, not our pleasures, our desires to be somebody and to have something and to do something. And to obtain that, no matter how, whether it be hook or crook. And people who are in their middle age of life, they face those temptations. I want to be somebody. I want to have this. I want to do this. And if I have to sell my soul to get it, I'll do it. If I have to step on somebody to get there, I'll step on. If I have to do somebody wrong, I'll do them wrong. Because after all, all that matters is me. I want to be something, have something, and do something. Because the world says if I'm somebody and I have something and I do this, I'll be a good people. That's what the world says. How do you battle that? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 
You have to have Superman vision to battle with the temptations of the world. Superman had telescopic vision, did he not? He could see far ahead. And when you see what God has waiting on you in heaven, don't get tricked by the cheap imitations of this world. Don't trade the silver and gold of eternity for the rhinestones of this world. Because God wants you to be something now and forever. God wants you to have something now and forever. God wants you to do something that will count the now and forever. But He wants you to do it the right way. And He will give you everything you want to be and want to have and want to do if you'll sell your soul to Him. Abstain from all appearances of evil. When the internal temptations come, run from them. Flee youthful lust. When the temptations from the world come, by faith overcome them by seeing ahead, not for the moment, but seeing ahead. You say, well, pastor, I'm old. I guess I'm safe. No, you're not. We older folks, we also have to battle a temptation. Now, I'm not saying that the internal temptation isn't for all of us. It is, but basically it attacks our young people. It's pleasure-driven. I'm not saying that the worldly temptations do not attack us all. They do. They're desire-driven. But the last temptation is primarily for elderly people, older people. And it's the infernal temptation. Not the internal, not the external, but the infernal temptation. And it comes directly from the devil himself. And this temptation attacks the truth of God's word. Do you see why it's there in that listing? We're to honor the word of God. We're to discern the word of God. We're to hold fast to the word of God. You know why? Because as you get older, the devil begins to get into your mind and heart when you get elderly. And he says, God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't care for you anymore. You really believe there's a place in heaven for you? That's a bunch of junk. Why don't you just close your eyes and die? Your family doesn't want to be around you. They don't care about you. The government wants you to die. Just die. Those of you that are elderly, listen to your pastor. I'm telling you, that's what he says. And you're sitting there alone. Nobody cares about you. God doesn't care. Nobody cares. And when you're going through sickness, God doesn't care about your health. You see, Satan is a liar. And he whispers into our ears as we get older, lies to try to take away the truth that God has given us when we were young. Don't you let it happen. You fight him with the word of God. Remember when Satan came to Jesus and he tried to take away the truth that Jesus had? What did Jesus use against him? The very truth of the word of God. And that's what we have to do. We have to know this book. That when he comes to us in the latter years of our life and whispers to us, we can take him on by quoting back to him the truth of his word. 
God doesn't love you. Oh, Satan, he does love me. The Bible says he loves me with an everlasting love. Just quote scripture. He doesn't care for you. Oh, he does care for me. He cares for me so much he said to cast my cares upon him. He will care for you. You don't have a home in heaven. That's just a bunch of baloney. In my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, he would have told me so. And I'm going to be with him to that place that's been prepared for me. You see, you use scripture Avoid all appearance of evil. Run from the temptations of pleasure. By faith, overcome the desires, the temptations of the world. And through the word of God, you fight the devil's doubts and lies that he speaks. That's a good word tonight. Revival. Awakening to save our nation, to save our churches, to save our homes, frankly, even to save ourselves. Be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful, be spirit filled, be Bible honoring, be discerning, be steadfast, be righteous. And if you'll do that, you'll change your world. But more importantly, you'll change the world around you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.